Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of 2019 while mad scientists monitor our minds. My name is Amato, and keep in mind I can't control where the fanfics begin or end because I use those special parts to make... Dom Servo. And Crow T. Robot, the T stands for Tori. We joke, but really, we all know that I'm the mad in this scenario, right? Definitely. Yes. Except that I'm trying to provide good material. <laughs> Which makes it so much tragic when you fail. <laughs> yeah, it happens. Uh, well, did they ever accidentally give any good movies in MST3K? There must have been one or two. I don't no. think so. All right. We are discussing fan MSTings tonight, and here to be more or less an expert on the topic, at least that's what I'm assuming, we have a very special guest. My name is Yesmar, and I run the website The Misting Canon. Oh. That brings us to our first question here. You say misting. <laughs> Correct. I never had to say it out loud throughout my entire life, and so I always said MSTing in my head and or out loud. Right. Well, I I have seen it written um, M-I-S-T as well, so I guess that's where I got that pronunciation from. That's true. I, I imagine people say both, right? Yeah, it's actually yeah. written M-I-S-T in this fanfic, I just realized. That's true, so I guess the author did that. Now... Your website, Yesmar, is called the MST and Canon. And can you tell us a little bit about it? Uh, sure. So when Mystery Science Theater came back on uh, Netflix, I thought that this was a good opportunity to, you know, possibly try to bring something back in regards to the misting community. And what so was it, the misting community? Or is, I suppose. Right. Right. So basically, uh, during the show's original run in the 90s, uh, fans of Mystery Science Theater would um, go online. It originally started on, on, on Usenet, if, if anyone remembers that. <laughs> and people would uh, post riffings of bad spam or conspiracy theories or fan fiction and just basically provide commentary similar to the commentary provided on Mystery Science Theater. I mean, I, I would say making fun of the stories and, um, you know, spam and other things, but I, I imagine that is a point of contention within and without the community, whether or not it would be considered uh, making fun of the original works. As a recovering misting writer, I would say, yeah, it's making fun of it. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, but in terms of your experience, were you part of the Usenet community, or did you come in later? Oh, no. I mean, Usenet is, is before my time. I, I first discovered Mistings, actually, um, when the show went off the air in, in 1999. Uh, you know, I, we, we just got an internet uh, a couple years earlier at my, at my house, so that was, like, one of the first things that I Googled. I I obviously don't remember what I searched for exactly, but uh, by the time I, I came in, uh, Mistings had pretty much migrated from Usenet to website number nine, mostly, which was the uh, main main Misting site of renown. Which is now period. defunct, right? Correct. Um, in 2003, the site um, went down, and there was a note saying, oh, I'm moving, the servers will be up shortly, and it's 
16 years now and it's never <laughs> gone back up again. <laughs> <laughs> and is that note still there? No, I, I believe uh, I believe the site's completely defunct at, at, at this point. That makes sense. The site that I used to frequent back in my like high school days was mostly everything what is crap, or before right. that it was Shinji's Vault of Anime MSTings. I notice that on your website you mention it as being one of the largest still active um, archives on the internet. Right, correct. Uh, in terms of websites that directly host mistings, there's uh, one other website, the Misting Mine, but that is just links to Google Groups uh, archives of the original Usenet posts. I see. Now, the other thing about everything what is crap is that it seems to be down now. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I, I tried. I, I don't remember the last time I was uh, there, but yeah, I mean, that's been up for a while. I tried accessing it because I was looking for my own MSTings. And, I mean, I, I have copies, but I was looking for them online. Right. And they, uh, it's just kind of doesn't reach there, it seems. It doesn't huh. quite go far so far as to say there's nothing there, but it doesn't seem to be accessible. I mean, that, that, that's, that's very disappointing, if so, because, I mean, there's, I'm sure, plenty of um, mistings that that was the only place online they were located hmm. oh i guess it does just say the site can't be reached anymore yeah i'm sure there were and i i don't know how much of that gets saved by the wayback machine or whatever right i know when i've checked in the past uh everything what is crap is pretty well archived by the wayback machine mm-hmm. and um for, for for some of the mistings on my on my site that that's how i had to obtain them but now your site yeah. Have we mentioned the, the, the name of their site? Oh, we have mentioned it. Okay. The MST and Canon, right? MST and Canon? Yeah. Okay. Now, your site, the MST and Canon, is not an archive of every MSTing that you can get your hands on. Correct, correct. I was trying to, um, I guess, curate a selection of, I think, it came, I think it came out to around 75 of the um, works that I thought were, or what I remembered. It, it was like, it, it's been 15 years of, of of what I remembered being the most highly regarded and most emblematic of the um, of this type of writing. Mm-hmm. So, and I mean, the the issue with the other archives that were still up and, and are still up is that you know, for a newcomer um, that's you know approaching these uh, mistings for the first time, there's there's not really a good guideline of what each one's about, you know which ones are good, which ones are bad. So I, I I was hoping to also at the same time provide a bit of a primer for uh, newcomers to mistings, hopefully. Well, it was very useful because I was considering having us do a misting on the show and didn't really know where to start. Hmm. And I stumbled right. on your site and uh, used that as my resource. And also, while I was at it, reached out and asked if you wanted to come on. We're going to... Thank you. We're going. Uh, no, thanks for coming. Thanks especially. for coming. <laughs> what the listeners don't know, except we're going to tell them, is that we had hours of technical issues before this. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, Mar was very, very patient with us, and we fully appreciate that. Especially since he's three time zones ahead of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's okay. Sleep is for the weak. So I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to come back to the specific story shortly, but before that. In the context of this show, mm-hmm. I'm choosing this as a piece of mystery science theater fan fiction. 
because among the things that I'm missing is a lot of them are just flat out fan fiction for Mystery Science Theater 3000. So let's talk a little bit about our experiences with the show itself. Hmm. Um, I think did all of us pretty much come in when it was ending or after it already ended? I don't remember watching any of it on TV. Oh no, I didn't actually watch it until, gosh, I might have been post grad school at that point. Like I didn't watch it well after it ended. But when I did, I watched all of it in rapid succession. <laughs> all of it. I feel like I was really familiar with the idea of it. And I, I feel like I'd seen more things with riff tracks than I had. I, like, I had the idea of the concept, but actually seeing, epi- like, full episodes. Maybe I caught one or two on TV at a certain point. But, like, actually watching the show in succession didn't happen until Netflix was available as a thing for mm-hmm. me. And then I was like, why did I never see this before and why I never engaged in it? But. <laughs> well, because of the weirds rights issues, the distribution has always been really spotty. Yeah. Like yeah. back in the day, oh, totally. back in the day, the fandom motto was keep circulating the tapes, right? Mm-hmm. Like just to make right. all the episodes accessible to people. And so back in the day, I feel like we had DVDs of the beginning of the end and I accuse my parents. And we that's had, like it. We had a couple of DVDs we passed around. Yeah. Uh, me personally, I never had cable until sometime like in my 20s so i did manage to catch a couple of episodes like at a hotel that had a cable or sleep over at tarn and galen's house mm-hmm. uh to a sci-fi channel and i think that was the first time i watched the final sacrifice actually oh that's a good one so i saw one or two here and there but once i got access to a high-speed internet and less than uh, legal means to acquire things i burned through as many as i could <laughs> at one time and I think I burned myself out at that point. <laughs> yeah, so uh, for me, I I first started watching it um, maybe around season six out of uh, nine original seasons. And I when I first started watching it, I was like eight. So I was at the time when I didn't really understand how television schedules worked. And it was, you know, <laughs> just like some show that would randomly be on occasionally. And then, of course, you know, what, once I figured out what specific days it was on, it, it, it was the last season and, and it was over. But, um, yeah, after the show ended, like, it was in repeats on Sci-Fi Channel for probably around five years. And I, I, had, I, I still have a bunch of um, VHS tapes that I recorded uh, of, of those episodes. Classic. So before we can move on, I think we have a question we all need to discuss. Mm. Joel right. or Mike? Hmm. Uh, or Jonah, I suppose. I like yeah, Joel. Or Jonah. Yeah. <laughs> you like Joel? Yeah, I like Joel. Uh, justify your opinion. <laughs> um, he was the first one I saw, and therefore he's my favorite now. Very solid. Yeah. I think Joel has a place in my heart, although all the episodes I like the best are all Mike episodes. Mm, also fair. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I feel like um, as a as a person and a character, I prob- probably like them uh, equally, but I I do prefer the uh, Mike episodes more. They're they're more uh, snappier, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. To get in the spirit of this, I was just rewatching Hobgoblins or the first half of it because that's all right. I can take. Um, <laughs> and just some of the host segments there, including Mike. Um, what am I thinking? The I didn't mean to turn you on host segment. Like, it's hilarious, and I can't really picture Joel pulling it off, because he doesn't have that energy. He has a much quieter energy. Yeah, maybe that's what I like about Joel, too, though, is he's kind of like a soft (laughs) boy, you know? He's kind of sweet. 
I, I've got to say... The kind of boy you could take home to your parents. <laughs> in theory, I like Joel better because I like the weird little parental relationship he has with the robots. Yeah, because he made mm-hmm. the robots. Yeah, and, you know, he calls them honey and, like... Exactly. He's sweet and more gay. The <laughs> Trace... Trace... B- 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 How do you say his name? Billy I, I don't know. The guy who played Dr. Forrester at all, was also Crow for a long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Commented that, you know, Joel has a parental relationship to them. And Mike, it's more like he's the supervisor at the pizza place, but he's only three months old and the other people. So, yeah. like, it's kind of his job to keep them in line, but he's also sort of one of the gang. Yeah. Anyway, he might be funnier than Joel, I have to admit. Then again, Mayor Dewey just has more authority, I think. Well, you've got to appreciate Joel... Ho- Is his last name actually Hodgson? Joel, the actor. Mm. Yeah, yeah Joel, Joel Hodgson. His, his name's still Joel Hodgson. You've got to appreciate that he just keeps showing up in other stuff. <laughs> Freaks and Geeks. I was so happy to see him. Yeah. Wait, he was oh, in cool. Freaks and Geeks? Oh, yeah. A couple of guest appearances. He runs the clothing store in the mall and, like, sells a jumpsuit to... <laughs> oh, my God. To he, he well, Sam. Funny. I never knew that. He was the disco yeah. guy. And he's, he's also running the disco in the last episode. Oh, my yeah. God. Yes. Oh, I love that show so much, and I never realized that. Well, Dr. Forrester's in there, too. Trace, what's his name? He's the chemistry teacher in one or two episodes. Oh, cool. I got to rewatch that. Now you do. Also, it took me an embarrassing long time to realize that Mayor Dewey was Joel. Mm. Even though it's a very distinct, very, very distinct voice. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's hop back to the story for today. Prominent on your website, Yesmar, like the first story you, you list as like a recommended starting point is the misting of, and I'm sorry, I'm going misting and MSTing interchangeably because <laughs> now they're both in my head. We always have debates of, whether, of what things should be called, and we always halfway decide on both at the it same time. It just confuses me every time we do it. <laughs> anyway, the first thing on your website, first story, is the misting of the Eye of Argon. The Eye of Argon is by Jim. What Tease. are we going to say? Tease? Tease? I believe it's Thice. 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 Okay. Okay. I, I I I was reading up on the story uh, beforehand, and it seems like that that is how you pronounce it, his name. Okay, Jim Thice. That's good to know. Because I think it's supposed to sound like thigh. Th- yeah, they make that joke at one point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So the Eye of Argon by Jim Thice, misted by Adam Kadra. Um, can you tell us why that ended up being your like suggested starting point for the concept of fan mistings? Uh sure. So. First of all, I believe, I mean, once again, this is my recollection of from 15 years ago. And, and some some of those years I was just a preteen, so I might be misremembering. Mis- but this was maybe one of three or four mistings that was always generally regarded as being uh, one of the best. And out of those uh, three or four, it's the only one that's not a misting of fan fiction. And I feel like sometimes for mistings, um, like something that's something that's fan fiction is a bit harder to uh, get into. Like it's hard to know, Oh, this is a bad portrayal of star Trek, the next generation or sailor moon or something. If, if, if you don't know it. So I, I, I feel like a straight piece of prose that's being, uh, misted is, um, more um, easier for a newcomer to uh, get into. And I I know I was 
when I was putting together the website, I was I, I was reading old um, discussions on uh, Usenet, and there were some people that said, well, one person that said you should uh, never miss uh, fan fiction because there's always that uh, entry barrier hmm. in, in, in terms of uh, uh, knowledge of the original source material. In retrospect, my mistings had incredibly high barriers of entry. Incredibly really high. Oh, yeah. It was all like me being an incredible Sailor Moon nerd and just kind of assuming that any listener would know exactly where I was coming from. Yeah, you had to know both the series and the manga, I think. Oh, you that. didn't know some of the musicals. Uh, that too, yeah. No, I mean, I but who yours. doesn't, really? I, I was all in. That's not a high barrier of entry. Everybody knows those things, right? But that's okay because nobody read them anyway. <laughs> well, if you are the target audience, then it, you know it hits all the right notes. Yeah. Well, I did make myself laugh a few times. There you go. <laughs> Though going back, I also like made a lot of jokes that are just not funny. I was heavily inspired by the Sad Light of Revolution, which was the Utena Revolutionary Girl Utena themed mistings that were on their own site. Mm-hmm. I don't think they were even hosted on everything. What is crap? Come to think of it, hmm. but they are archived elsewhere on the internet. Come to think of it. Revolutionary girl, revolutionary girl Utena. Let me enunciate, please. Um, isn't there an element of misting in that with the shadow players? Like, <laughs> Absolutely. Isn't that its own misting of itself? I mean, come they're, on, they're kind it of is. Greek choruses. Yeah. Disagree. Sure, sure. <laughs> so, are we saying that misting is just an extrapolation of the Greek chorus idea? <laughs> I feel like it is. No, yeah, I mean. <laughs> because look the Greek okay listen to our expert here yes <laughs> okay, Mario's okay. about to tell us yeah. that I am right I mean it, it, it it's commenting on the on the principal action of the uh, production I and I I mean I can't think of anything off the top of my head but I'm sure there has to be some um postmodernist play that predates mystery science theater that has a somewhat similar premise that would make sense yeah I mean it kind of is the Greek chorus, which is like the same thing that happens in the Muppet show with the old <laughs> men who comment on everything. It's like it is the commentary on the play, and that's a common thing. Like, and it appears in modernist plays. It appears in like um, what do I want to say uh, a lot of Baroque plays. You know, like the ones that include social commentary, there's also outside social commentators. It's sort of like the Rosencrantz and Gilgenstern idea. Hold that thought, Tori. Yesmar, have you run into a misting where they use Stantler and Waldorf as their riffing characters? <laughs> no, I haven't. That's That seems like low-hanging fruit. It does. <laughs> and speaking of low-hanging fruit, <laughs> this story we're discussing... I feel like part of the reason this one has got to be famous is because of the material, right? Right. I mean, it. it I mean, the story itself has its own Wikipedia article. It does. I had to consult it. The story that they're using is The Eye of Argon by Jim... We were saying... Thighs. Thighs. Which was published in 1970 in the Journal of the Ozark Science Fiction Society. Tenth issue. And apparently mimeographed copies kind of, like, made their way into the science fiction fandom and, like, got passed around at conventions. Is that right? Uh, that, that's my understanding. And it is just really outrageously bad in a lot of ways. <laughs> and so the first thing that the Mr. Adam Kadra does at, the, at, like, the start of the text file 
is saying like, oh, for my first misting, I thought I'd tackle this and I checked around to see if anyone had done it yet. Mm-hmm. The implication being that like, he kind of thought someone might very well have done it already. It was infamous already. Right, yeah. My, I, I believe they would have contests at um, fantasy conventions to see who could read the story the longest without <laughs> laughing. Yeah, laughing or stumbling over what it says, right? Yeah, I'm oh, familiar with the stumbling idea. would take like five seconds. <laughs> I feel like this is something that I tried to do with my friends, and I don't know if it was this particular thing or not. But like, I have vague recollections, and I feel like it was this particular thing. Like, I, I feel like this is a common like party game, right? Among total nerds like us, yes. Well, yeah, okay. Common <laughs> may may not be correct, but. Now I totally did this before. It, it's easy to tear into the story, but I understand. I remember reading at some point online, someone managed to track down the author, Jim Thi- Thies. Um, <laughs> Thies. You know, decades later, and he was a pretty good sport about the whole thing. And it's just like, oh, yeah, I wrote that when I was a dumb teen and published it. That sounds great, because th- this could tear a psyche apart. <laughs> <laughs> As for The Misting, it was published in August 1995. It's hosted... Um, 1995, correct. All right. And it's one of the ones hosted on the Misting Mine um, that you said you use as one of your sources. But our link is to the one stored on your site, the Misting Canon, at bit.ly slash argon. That's not the whole website. That's just the link to the story. So this is our first time trying to discuss a Misting on this show. Right. Where do we start? Um... Let's start at the beginning. The very best place to start. <laughs> so they start with some good host bits, I think. Right. It seems... We, it's not universal, especially in the older mistings, but it seems really common for people to write host segments um, in the same way that the show would have had little skits, right? Correct. I mean, I'm, I mean, I find it somewhat I- impressive that, like, after the first year or so of mistings, pretty much... Every misting has host segments. Like it, it's it's very rare to find something post ninety four that does not have host segments. How do we feel about the host segments in this one, or at least the the beginning here? I thought they're all pretty much on tone for MST three K. Yeah, like I feel like they were um, not necessarily that funny. <laughs> like I don't mean that to be insulting, but it was like. They were on that exact tone where it was like, they are just funny enough. Like, the first one is doing a terror rating, which I love this because it's not what you would expect from these characters, but the author is putting kind of this new spin. But it's basically like the death card keeps coming up in a reading for Tom. No, Tom Servo's doing the reading, yeah. and the reading is for Crow. Is that a Monkey Island and, gag? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, was this exactly. before or after the Curse of Monkey Island, where they made the same joke? I don't know. Because someone That's was copying point. someone. Yeah. <laughs> Very good point. But yeah, Crow keeps pulling the, the death card over and over, even though there's only supposed to be one in a tarot deck. Yeah. Even though it doesn't necessarily indicate a death per se, but it's, uh, it's dismal. And then Crow eventually gets very hyped up about it and pulls an ultimate nine death cards and starts to <laughs> lament his demise at that point. But it does seem very on tone for Mystery Science Theater. I think. It really, really is. Like I can visualize this so perfectly. Yeah. 
Right. I I agree. I I well, I think the first host segment is um, probably the best. The, I the agree. are fine. They're they're uh, just a little short. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like the first host segment, I I could see being a host segment on the on the actual show, and that's actually also I mean a more minor reason why I thought this was a good uh, misting to start with because just someone coming in blind, I that's the fan of the show. I I feel like the opening host segment would hook them more more than some other mistings. I feel like with these characters, especially for the host segments, you can have them do pretty much whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, mm-hmm. they set up any kind of ludicrous little gags and it's fine. Yeah, whatever so, stuff they can uh, make with their prop shop in town. <laughs> right. And so I feel like part of the art is choosing who you want to say what. Like, who's going to be saying what in your gag. And... I feel like there was a moment in this first host segment when I was like, oh, yeah, that w- those were the perfect words to put into this character's mouth. And that's when um, when Crow flips over the first car and he says, death, oh, no. And then they have a Tom line. I can't do the, the Tom Servo voice. <laughs> but it's like very much what the kind of words you would give Tom. Yes. Where he says, afraid so, my friend. Yes, that's right. It's the ever popular death card representing, well, death. But don't worry, no one card, however ominous, can represent your entire fate. Why don't you flip the next card? This one crowns you. It stands for all you can ever hope to achieve. And then, you know, Mike flips the next card for Crow and it's death again. <laughs> but something about the however ominous aside there was just very, very... I was about to say Crow and I was wrong. Tom. It was very Tom. Yeah. <laughs> right. The whole pattern and the pattern worked perfect yeah also the part in the beginning where they mentioned where mike has to flip the cards because neither of them have working arms (laughs) right (laughs) very in tone yes um and then writing dr forrester is not hard i feel like it like yeah it's good Uh, i appreciate they brought in jack perkins for a little guest segment because that's a, a bit that they did several times in mystery science theater it was always funny. Yeah, I, oh no, go on. And and I think the the Jack Perkins voice is is, is very good as well. <laughs> I could imagine that one too. Do you remember that from the show? You two. Jack Jack Perkins was like a a real life like lifetime narrator person or something like who would introduce oh. things in a soothing voice. Oh yeah yeah yeah. But they had Mike play him in the show <laughs> yeah and so the funniest thing was that it would just like cut away from mike to the same actor in a different mike in a mustache yeah right exactly <laughs> oh, or like in a right. nice in a nice suit right. yeah okay this makes so much more sense now that i recall that <laughs> i am it's a delightful tale by jim thieves that <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> a delightful right. little tale <laughs> all right and then we get into the story mm-hmm. the story is we can't talk about the actual story of the Eye of Argon, right? I think we need to a little bit, because that's a large part of this. Okay. We'll mention what the story's about, for, for sure. What it's about. Well, it's like the very worst Conan pastiche you could possibly imagine, right? Isn't yeah. It? I feel like this is very famil- fairly familiar to some people. Like, people read this as a joke, as we mentioned before, so... Conan pastiche is a good way to put it. I thought it was Conan fanfiction for a while, but that was just because they kept on using the word Stygian. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a... That's a neon sign right there. (laughs) Yeah. Robert E. Howard all over. Ew. (laughs) Very... 
very much in line with the kind of sword and sandals movies they would they would have on Mystery Sign Theater. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so for, the one thing is that the plot is totally derivative and badly constructed. Is there a plot? Well, I mean, there's a series of events. <laughs> <laughs> you want to try to tackle what happens in the Eye of Argon very quickly? Definitely not, no. How about you, Yasmar? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, it's pretty, I guess, simple. Uh, Grignor? <laughs> I guess that's how you say his name? Grignor? I said, Grignor. I said Grignor in my head. Yeah, it's Grignor. Me too. It's, that's how you say it. It's G-R-I-G-N-R. It's like a wolf with a throaty growl. So it's like a throaty N sound with an R color to it, which I don't think exists in most languages. So Grigner is a barbarian who gets captured by an evil kingdom and then breaks out and escapes with um, a wench, I guess. Yes, um, that is her profession. Yes, yes. And then, and then is attacked by a um, weird emerald blob creature. <laughs> yeah, he and like stole story. a gem on the way out. And right, emerald means red. So. Sometimes. <laughs> well, a ruby is a red emerald, right? Actually, emeralds can be multiple colors, but I just love that every time emeralds matched on this, it meant red. So. <laughs> yeah, right. That's the that's the very basic outline. The hilarious, the thing that makes me laugh the most about the way the story is constructed is that after this whole, like, first half of the story where it's just kind of Grigner slaying things and getting <laughs> captured and macking on a tavern wench and killing some more people and escaping some more. I don't think that's necessarily the order, but I don't think it matters. <laughs> Once he actually saves this woman, or perhaps I should say this female, because that's how she's referred to over and over again. Constantly. Mm-hmm. She dumps this whole lot of plot exposition on him that, like, out of nowhere about all this stuff that's happening in the city and, like, her relationships with various people that don't matter and never appeared. And it's just out of left field. None of it stuck in my mind. No. <laughs> yeah, and then, the, and then the characters show up and get murdered. Not that it matters because we don't know who they are. Right. <laughs> so among the things that are bad about this work include the plot. What other things are terrible about this work? The spelling? The spelling is atrocious. Yeah. And Wait, how did the story actually end? Is that Oh, <laughs> well actually that's a funny story. <laughs> Called the Ivargon. Yeah. 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 There you go. <laughs> well no, but the the copy apparently, apparently the copy that circulated for a long time was missing the ending. Oh. And that's the one they were working off I of for see. this. Oh, and well, eventually someone found the ending and put it online. And it's basically just Grigner kills that slime and they walk off into the sunset. That's it. Uh, it's like exactly what you would expect. Yes. Well, the, the story is very much like mostly a description and very uh, flowery description at that. But then after Grigner's imprisonment, he escapes with a very special wench. <laughs> And the very special wench and he go down the corridor and have another encounter with a priest with a pot belly. And that's like they kill him. And that's basically the end of the copy we have here, correct? Yeah, something like that. That green slime shows up that that, that, then ends. There's a lot of fighting and a lot of slime, perhaps. (laughs) Okay. And a lot of description of what rats feel. (laughs) But so those. Oh, sorry. You go on. 
there's a riff early on that I think uh, sums it up, where uh, I think it's Crow says, I understand all of these words, but I just can't part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, right. Because that's the other it's thing. Besides, besides the plot being terrible and the spelling being terrible, also the word choice is just bizarre a lot of the time. Incomprehensible. Like, there, one that jumped out at me was, here we are, Grigner was led along a stone pathway bordered by plush vegetation lustfully enhanced by the moon's <laughs> shimmering rays. Oh my. What does that mean? What, what, lustfully? Do I need to explain that word? <laughs> no, I just, I just... Please parse the sentence. I want to know what you think it means. I mean, the riff that the that Adam Codger uses is Tom saying, when I get a glimpse of that crabgrass, I get me a stern in my loins, something <laughs> awful. There you go. But it's like, no one would choose that word there. Why mm. would you? I just love... And all of... Oh, go on. Go on. All of the fight scenes are very over-explained, but I have no clue what's going on. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> yeah. And it's so, nonsense. it's what you would call a target-rich environment. Yeah. For a misting. Like, so rich. Um, and I feel like, if a complaint I had, I almost had about this misting was that you almost don't need, you don't, almost don't need the MSTing. Like you said, it's perfectly entertaining, um, reading it by itself, like, the story almost overshadows what Adam Codger is trying to say to make fun of it. I was actually sort of surprised that this this was the MSTing that we chose, like, because I actually feel like I'm familiar with the party game version of this story, and I feel like at times it's too easy. <laughs> Often it's too easy. At times. No, it's too easy. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's too easy. I think the challenge of doing like a misting for the story is picking the right moments to poke fun at. Right. Right. So I actually think that the author of this did very well at that. A good commentary has to be the right kind of comedy at the right time, at the right pacing from other comedy bit segments also. So that's kind of the uh, skill level of an MSTing, I think. Hmm. I think it would take a lot of restraint to MST this, like, a lot. And they, they did very well. Because <laughs> I, I just rewatched The Final Sacrifice earlier today, and what made that one a particularly good one was that the movie had lots of uh, lots of periods of times where there was no sound or no dialogue, where they were just allowed to riff again and again and again <laughs> after something weird happening, then they could talk about it for, like, five minutes before anything happens in the movie again. Yeah, in terms of Mystery Science Theater 3000, I feel like a lot of the funniest jokes are not, are responding to what they see or hear on the screen rather mm -hmm. than words. Yeah. And so in Hobgoblins, which I was watching, like one of my biggest laughs was there's a security guard walking through the parking lot and like the sound effects is just kind of like crunch, crunch, crunch while they're walking. And you wouldn't necessarily think about that walking, watching the movie by yourself, mm -hmm. but they comment, does he have Pringles in his shoes? <laughs> <laughs> because the, the sound effect they're using is once you think about it, so like... Over the top. Over the top, yeah. right. Isn't this something that the author also commented on in the fic, that a lot of the comedy is in more like the movement? I feel like there was an author's note that said something to this effect. Hmm. It's more in the way the characters move rather than um, necessarily a dialogue. That's more where you can find the comedy. I don't see an author's yeah. note exactly. Hmm. Oh, sorry. 
I, I just remember this very specifically as a, as a thought. Perhaps it was something we spoke of, but... And also, uh, the author of The Misting doesn't... Re- I mean, obviously, there there's plenty of jokes that are just, haha, this is bad. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of... But most of the jokes are, like, puns or playing off of words or phrases. Um, and, and, and it's not just all bashing, which, which uh, speaking as someone that wrote mistings himself that 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 that's the most difficult kind of joke uh to come up with something that goes beyond just just purely making fun of the of the story i agree and i tend to lean too much into that as i'm sure a lot of authors do Mm -hmm. i'm you wrote a missing this year didn't you it's fresh in your mind i did (laughs) (laughs) yes i yeah and then you know like the i mean a good rule of thumb i would say is Never, I mean, you don't want to, you don't want your tone of the misting to be harsher than the story. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're, if you're doing some, like, crazy political rant, then you can get meaner. But you, a, a lot of that's dependent, I, I think, on the, you have to work with the source material. I feel like the extent to which you can be harsh on them goes up with the extent to which they're taking themselves seriously. And so, on the one hand, this author is clearly just messing around, but on the other hand, like, there is kind of that touch of, they seem to be thinking that they're actually writing, like, a fantasy story that, you know, has some kind of, like, literary purpose. Right. And, like, that's the point at which you can kind of make fun of them, I feel like, because they're really Mm. not. I think you'd have to do th- do that when it's really apparent, because just talking about how the thing is bad is not um, as somebody reading it. It's not new information to the audience. It's mm-hmm. not interesting information, and you can only repackage that so many times before it just comes off as hollow after a while. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm trying to find a good example here of kind of taking the weird spelling and running with it, or the weird word mm-hmm. choice. Well, there's a lot of them, but stuff that just like using them as weird springboards for comedy bits, like mentioning uh, a diamond, then just going into like a home shopping network thing about how you can own this for now, the fifth caller or something. Or the fact right. that Grigner's nationality is accordion <laughs> and they consistently parse that as an accordion, like the instrument. Um, and I thought they got some good humor out of that. The yeah. accordion flexed, which is a very reasonable thing for an accordion to do. yeah that worked pretty well and one one um riff i like that actually commented on the story's um quality in a good way i i don't i don't remember the exact phrasing but one of them says something like i i can't take any more of this in my seeing orbs or or, or, or however the story would describe eyes yeah oh that's right oh yeah yeah, because there's a lot going on in this story that never directly references something that could be simply described right there were several orbs of sight is a common thing Orbs of sight yeah and there's an (laughs) ongoing joke of orbs of sight and then you know one of the characters maybe crow will say um, you mean eyes, and then uh, Mike will be like, "Let's, let's not, not jump to any conclusions." <laughs> right, right. Let's not jump to conclusions. Yeah. As a running joke, I thought that was probably the best running joke because that was pretty much fall flat. I feel. I thought that, that was, was a great running. I joke. thought that one was funny at first. Yeah, then I it really got on my nerves, and then at the end of it, I 
came completely back around and loved it. <laughs> Honestly, I loved it the whole way through because it became part of my thought process. Like I would anticipate the let's not jump to inclusion conclusions, especially because I was listening to it rather than reading it directly, listening to it being read while I was driving home. I'd be like, they're about to say let's not jump to conclusions. And then I would be really delighted when they actually did. It's also a tasteful way to comment on the quality of the fit. Cause like, the mm-hmm. joke is that you're not sure exactly what they're talking about and they're trying to parse it and then they're like trying to give it more artistic merit than it's worth. So it's a nice way to dig at the material but still be kind of above it and interesting at the same time. Mm-hmm. Right. I also liked um, the running joke um, where they'd be like, when I hear this adjective... I- I, I think of three people, really famous person, really famous person, and, and Grigner. Like, like, <laughs> like, like, towards the end, Grigner has some very out-of-character insight into um, the Wench's psychology. <laughs> and they go, w- when I think of um, psychological insight, I think of three names. Freud, Jung, and Grigner. <laughs> yeah, it's great because yes. that works because every time the story praises Grigner's, like, mental capacity in some way. Or, like wisdom. Like his wisdom, his, right... <laughs> Judgment, yeah, his, like you said, psychological insight. It's a list of, of names, right? <laughs> like, well, every time they do that, it's right. like, when I think of... <laughs> yeah, when I think of wisdom, I think of, like, Confucius, a Greek philosopher, and Grigner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, let's see. Uh, yeah, there's several running jokes that didn't work. The crow saying a slut where, whenever a slut is mentioned, didn't really work. Right. Well, the, okay, that one didn't really work for me because I had no idea why the text was saying slut to begin with. Right. Well, that that's supposed to be the joke is that the author of the Eye of Argon is using slut as a insult in ways that it's just not but, culturally used in, at all. Right. Like I was very confused. I was like, are, it seemed like they weren't. I don't understand that one, honestly. That was supposed to be the joke. I just feel like the riff didn't quite hit it. But I don't understand, like, the original context. Why are they? Why was they <laughs> saying slut in the first place? That's what I don't understand. The answer is blowing in the wind there, Tori. <laughs> okay. I just thought that someone might have some context for that. But yeah, saying slut where is still misogynistic and still not that funny. Yeah. Though it actually was kind of funny when there was a point in which they could say, ah, oh, there's the slut. <laughs> I hate to say that because that's awful. But, <laughs> but it was the payoff, yeah. yeah. It was the payoff after all of that. That, that, that oh. is the problem with crow sometimes. I mean, that was an issue in Mistings that was called crow syndrome, where it would be like a cheap joke where crow would say something inappropriate and then Mike or Joel would be would go, crow... Yeah. 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 That was yeah. way overused in some of my inspirations, like the Satellite Revolution MSTings, and mm-hmm. I think I absorbed some of it, unfortunately, yeah. for mine. This is kind of mm-hmm. the issue with some of our like older references is like people knowing things were inappropriate in the nineties and early two thousands still using them as if they were comedic. And that's antiquated to us now, and I think it's a good thing that it is. Well, like trying to make it okay by funneling it through a character that's supposed to be right. inappropriate. Uh, like, like mm. that makes it okay. Yeah, I mean, you see what they're going for. It just isn't funny in particular. Yeah. Yeah. Now, at exactly this point, we've unfortunately suffered a technical issue of some kind that has dropped 
Yes, Mar. Yeah, the satellite that they're on has moved out of range of our call at the moment. Would that be the satellite of love, I assume? Could be. (laughs) So, Yesmar is unceremoniously no longer recording with us. It's very sad, and we're very frustrated with technology, and we've been praying to the patron saint of the internet to no avail. (laughs) So, anything else we want to talk about on our way out of this story? It's been a while since I've, like, uh, watched any MST3K stuff or read any uh, mistings. (laughs) And... I kind of had a hard time transitioning to the written form of this. In the written form of this, you have to read through the uh, bad fan fiction. You have to be a lot more engaged. When they're um, MSTing a movie, that's a lot more passive, and you can kind of just let the movie roll without having to take it in. But I, at some point, I just had to pass this stuff over my eyes <laughs> instead of trying to like really read it in order to get through it. Yeah, I feel like in this story in particular, the source material is so dense with craziness and weird words that I had the same experience. I couldn't read it all fully. I ended up kind of skimming or, you know, skipping over some parts slightly. In fact, that the um, interjections a lot of times cut like sent like paragraphs and sometimes sentences in half made it made that a little bit more difficult to follow what was going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely did. Um, the thing is, is that I found the source text like just so amusing in and of itself. Like it was just so ridiculous that I really wanted to consume in its entirety. But the interjections um, sometimes were really topical and amusing and flowed very well. But at other times, it felt like they took you out of the reading of what you were reading and you ended up kind of trying to remember what you were getting back to, especially since the interjections would happen mid sentence very often. I feel like that could flow a lot better in a movie format in a text format. It was a lot harder to parse. Hmm. Well, I feel like for any misting and especially this kind of long one, well, no, for anyone in particular, you'll always have like kind of variation in, in how well it reads and this was a long one and kind of a, in some ways, a tough one to tackle. Um, Yesmar's comment on the way out, like in, in typing for us to relate, was to reiterate that he thinks it's a good study in restraint about like kind of where to choose to comment on things. Hmm. And, you know, even though everything, even though everything doesn't land, I think I agree. There, there's definitely blocks of text where they're just as bad as anything else, but the author kind of had to choose what to go what to address. Oh, yes, yes. It was very clear that they had to choose, pick and choose, because there's so many things they could have picked on. I have read some bad uh, MSTings in the past, and those ones tend to do a comment like every other line of the the original text, because they always want to have something funny to say every moment, and that's a bit too much. Right. This this one did a good job of picking and choosing. There were so many points where I thought in my head, oh, you could have said something there, and I was like, no, that would have been way more things. Like, (laughs) you don't want to be more of the MST text than the actual text. It'd be interesting to see what the actual percentage ratio is and what a good one would be. Uh, that would be a bigger study that I'm prepared to do. <laughs> Yesmar also comments that when he was younger, he thought it was overrated, but appreciates it more as an adult. Hmm. Or, I don't know, maybe that's having kind of seen more more mistings online in general. Yeah, this one isn't like the flashiest or the grabbiest story, but it is very technically solid. Mm-hmm. 
I just think that I really admire the author of this for the fact that this is one of the most famously bad stories in our cultural history and the restraint it must have taken to interject only at certain points. Like the obvious points are sort of overlooked. I'm very grateful for that because it makes the humor more funny. And I don't more think gripping. all the obvious places are overlooked. Well, I didn't say all of them. Okay, some of them. <laughs> a lot of them. Like, a lot of the more obvious things are overlooked in favor of creating more funny jokes. And, yeah, some of the jokes do fall flat, don't get me wrong. But they pick on the things that they think they can catapult off of rather than just picking on everything. And I think that's a really good choice. That I think that's the end of this experiment. This experiment in covering a misting of a text instead of a just flat-out story. Next week, we are going to go into a different kind of meta-text in reading Romeo and Minako. It's the longest I've been able to stay away from Sailor Moon fanfiction, just for you two. How do you feel? Do you have the shakes? Need some, uh, you sweating it out? What? Uh, It's okay. (laughs) I'm just spacing them out longer, you know. It's not all at once. Not going cold turkey on Sailor Moon fanfiction. Of course not. That should be episode 46 of Retro Fanfic Retrospective. You'll be able to find a link to that story at bit.ly slash rfrminako. That's M-I-N-A-K-O. As for this, it was episode 45 of Retro Fanfic Retrospective, Adam Kadra's MSTing of the Eye of Argon by Jim Thies. Thies. You can find it on the MSTing canon, which our friend Yesmar runs. Our link to the fanfic there is bit.ly slash rfrargon. The intro song is the weekly fare off of the album Popey's Incredible Adventure by Komiku. The outro song is Run Against the Universe from the same album. You can find this album and other works by Komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. You can find our website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or bit.ly slash retrofanfic. And if you have questions, comments, or thoughts about the episode, you can contact us on Twitter at Retrofanfic, Facebook at Retrofanfic, or send us an email at retrofanficretrospective at gmail.com. Leaving comments or reviews on the podcast service of your choice also works and would be appreciated. I'm Amato. I'm Tori. I'm Dom. We are just three Earth life forms trying to be nice to each other. And if you're wondering how we eat and breathe or other science facts, then please stop wondering because it's really disgusting when you start learning about it. Yeah, it's creepy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Until next time, take care. Bye. See ya. Speakers were working. The speakers were working. Oh, yeah, correct. that's true. Yes, because we were grooving out to that fat, fat beat. <laughs> that was some beat. So but it's that. That was my jelly, if not my jam. <laughs> <laughs> the Skype noise. Yeah, no, it's it, it used to be really annoying. I remember because we used to play those Skype D and D games. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I think I recorded one of those.
wonder what happened to it. Oh, I think oh I still God, have it somewhere. I would love to hear that. Okay. <laughs> it was like a That's clearly the best ago. of fan fiction right there. 